Hello, human peoples. You're listening to the podcast network of Gamefully Unemployed. Support us and gain access to great exclusive podcasts like Fox Mulder is a Maniac, Tom and Jeff Watch Batman, Star Trek The Next Futurama, and our latest show, Spiel Boys. Head over to patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. We do game streaming, movie nights with our patrons every Friday night, and you can even commission your own podcast about anything you want. Literally anything, within reason, and we have to do it. You are quite frankly out of excuses not to go visit patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. That's patreon.com slash G-A-M-E-F-U-L-L-Y unemployed, which is spelled like it sounds. Uh, hello. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hi. My my name is David Bell. Oh, my name is Tom Ryman. I am Jason Pargin, and I don't know, was I supposed to shout hello along with you guys? Again, you I, I'm you a made a decision. You, you, you made a okay. decision in the moment, and it's, you know what, that's what we want. We want your natural <laughs> instinct and response. Yeah. Uh, and we just watched R, R, and then there's a third R. That's, that's it. That's the title. We did it. We, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> Triple Jason, R. Thank you so much for uh, for being on. You you kind of you messaged Justin was like, have you guys seen this movie yet? Um, a couple people have mentioned it because this is um, this is by um, God. What's his name? Uh, a S S Rajamoli. Um, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sure you're not. Rajamuli. <laughs> Rajamuli. Okay. Um, he's he's the the director of Bahubali, which me and you, Tom, we covered. We did, yeah. Both uh, parts. Both the begin, yeah, the beginning and the conclusion, which is what they're called. Uh, and this is the newest one. It's kind of gotten a little viral, right? People are talking about it. It's on the Netflix. It is on Netflix's top ten movies in the USA right now because I yeah. just went and checked. Now when. It, it's been out for a long time. It showed up on the platform like uh, I'd say maybe a month ago, mm-hmm. maybe even more. And then I saw people on Twitter saying, "Oh, you've got to see this this Bollywood action movie called RRR. You got to see it." Um, and then I, at the time, it could not find it in any category until I searched all three letters. And even then, I think Netflix assumed that I had just accidentally sat something ah, on my you remote fell asleep on the remote yeah. <laughs> it, 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 like unless i rr space it would bring it up now it's in the menus because like among movie watching people among certain circles on twitter everybody's talking about it posting memes about it if i post a joke about it people will like it because they they've seen it but the vast vast majority of people still almost certainly have not it is a foreign language movie when I say the vast majority of people, I'm saying among our American listeners, mm-hmm. this is one of the highest grossing movies in the world, starring two of the biggest superstars in the world. But there, it's, again, a Bollywood production. It's from India. It's in Hindi. Like it's So among most the average movie-watching person, if I went out on the street or to my family or whatever and asked them if they had seen RRR, they would think I had, was having a stroke. Right. Like they wouldn't. They wouldn't know what I was talking about. So we do get that this is a very famous production, one of the most, ex- the most expensive Bollywood, Bollywood movie ever made. Uh, I, I want to, before we get into the discussion, I want to put up two disclaimers right up front. One, there are, are a lot of corners on the internet, YouTube, whatever, where people will watch movies like this ironically. 
and the joke is, look how stupid these movies are. We did not watch this ironically. I, I've this movie is three hours and five minutes long. I've seen it three times. I <laughs> I, I would not watch a movie that many One times for each sarcastic. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. that's yeah. too this, much. That's nine hours is too much for sarcasm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the second point is, we will do our best with all of the names and location names. The truth is, no matter how carefully we pronounce the names as they are spelled and said in English, we are not going to be saying them the way these people would say their own names. It is a yeah. totally different language. We would be saying it some degree of wrong no matter how hard we tried, even if we took an entire week to be trained and to, to have like <laughs> our attempt to perfectly match the inflection and accent and everything would be far more insulting than just doing our best. So please, we mean no disrespect. Uh, this is we are what we're going to do is the first person who pronounces a name. We are going to consider that the precedent for how it will be pronounced for the right. rest of this podcast, right, right or wrong. Well, there's – all right. So for the character – yeah, I was fully ready to just call, like, one of them just Mustache. Um, but I'm no, looking at the names I realize – He's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm realizing uh, the character's name is Ram, right? Yeah, and it's Bahim. Ram, Rama, Ramaraju, and the other guy is, is Beam. Bahim. Beam, beam. Beam. And then they made it easier for us with Scott, the evil Scott, yeah. and Jenny – well, when the bad guys uh, are white, that makes it yeah. it makes it easier. <laughs> the, the bad it guys are, are Ray Stevenson and Allison Duty. They really are. Yeah, they, they super are. are those two people. But yeah, so uh, my yeah, um, <clears throat> so I guess. Uh, God, man. Allison Duty, she's she's an old pro at this. Oh yeah, at, uh, yeah, <laughs> at being a frigid villain. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess we should probably start by telling people what the movie's about, right? Yeah, I just want to start with, and we said this with Bahubali as well. I, uh, Jason, I don't know if you agree with me on this. I haven't actually, we haven't shared our opinions on this movie. This, to personally, this this movie and this director's other movies, I don't understand why American movies aren't like this. Like blockbusters. <laughs> I think, like, I again, it's, it's what you were saying. It's unironic. Yeah. Is that if you're going to make a silly superhero movie, well, have like them this, dance and sing. This have is what... do... This is what Fast and the Furious should be. Yes. Yeah. It's like you, you, you watch Fast and Furious and you're like, yeah, no, why aren't you defying physics way more? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why aren't what you doing in fighting the entire British army while on your best friend's shoulders? Yes. Oh, yes. All right. Well, let's let's talk about the plot, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Tom, it's, you want to do the honors? I mean, I'll give it a shot. OK, so from what I understand the two the premise of this movie is these the two main characters uh Ramaraju and Beam are actual historical people uh but they did not they never met and they didn't you know this is not a real story so this is like again from from what i've read about the movie um this is like a what if if these two um celebrated historical uh, f figures the in, uh, indian revolutionaries uh what if they met uh, basically, right. and the director compared it to Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, exactly. He, yeah. he cited that as one of his inspirations. Like, it's a totally wouldn't have been awesome if history had turned out this way. It takes place in 1920 during uh, when British had rule of of India and would yeah. continue to rule until the 1940s. But in this movie, it is a yeah a totally fictionalized 
like totally over the top kind of you know wishful thinking version of of the of the events yeah exactly i can i can try to explain the plot of this i'm i'm so bad at plots um in terms of like i didn't even know this was based off of real historical people uh jason you've seen it three times do you want to take us through the plot well it's a very braveheart type setup because it's it's these two very different guys kind of living under the rule of the evil british which i think all of the best historical action movies that's the premise the british in that era make just such great villains um, so imagine if in Braveheart there had been William Wallace and then another separate guy who was like undergoing his own plan, like undercover to overthrow the English. And the two of them, because that guy was undercover, the two of them thought they were enemies. And then partway through, the two heroes joined up and uh, and just... Oh, over overthrew the British in the most baddest way possible. Now, the specifics, like the inciting incident of the plot, is that the evil, the evil guy, the governor of that area, the the English guy that's been put there, and his sadistic wife. Like it's the movie opens with them basically stealing a child, an Indian child. The the mother's like, "Oh, that girl's cute. Let's take her," and they pay like two two pounds, yeah, and just throw a couple coins to the mother and and. Just take her. And that's what triggers the events. But that is all it's similar to in Braveheart, like how his wife getting, you know, abducted and killed by the English is the inciting incident. But it's really about like rebellion. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like that's the thing that, that that is the the spark that lights the fuse. But it's the whole context is. And then it's a series of action scenes that. Without going into detail, I'll just say the first thing you see when you start to stream this movie is a very long disclaimer explaining in more detail than what you've ever seen. Again, this is at the beginning of the movie, assuring you that no animals yeah. were harmed. Now, were the British harmed? It doesn't say. <laughs> Only that the animals, because it's basically paraphrasing what you are about to watch multiple times is a pair of very muscular men just beating the piss out of several large predators. <laughs> we want to assure you that they're CGI creations. We did not let these men beat several tigers to death or in one point pick up a leopard and throw it at some British mm. troops and use it as a weapon. That did not actually – we did not film him doing that, You know, no matter how much you may want that to be true. <laughs> it's, so it, it's – it kicks off with that disclaimer, and then it, it kind of goes from there. But there, there are several scenes in this movie that could serve as a very good climax for other lesser action movies. Oh yeah, movies. I, I would say the first time we meet, um, I don't I, actually. It's not the first time. The first time we see Rom beat beat off that crowd, like that could be. That's like maybe fifteen minutes into this movie, maybe twenty. And that would be the finale, the climax of other yeah. Films. Like the, I think the the best way to describe the action in this movie is it's if the raid was also Fast and the Furious, yeah, <clears throat> um, and also a musical, yes, about friendship. Uh, yeah, and I imagine these two. So there's there's like two warring revolutionary plots. One is. Uh, Beam trying to get back. He's um, trying to get the little girl back. Yeah, the little girl who was stolen, 
And then we learn later about Rom's plot of like to bring he's he's basically um, a double agent. He's yeah. working as we, a British officer. We learned early on that he's ranks. up to something, yeah, but we yeah. don't learn what it is until after intermission. Yeah, and so it's it's these two like separate plans uh, colliding. It's really two separate movies colliding. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar, similar. Yeah, you know. but like you could see either one of those storylines just being its own movie. But right. again, that's that's Inglorious Bastards yeah. because you had the bastards, you had the crew of the, of the Nazi hunters, Brad Pitt's crew, and then you had the woman who owned the theater, and then right. in the end they collide into one into one crazy, just total nonsense yeah, scene. A mega this revolution. is similar. Yeah, like they think they're at odds, and then they. So it's 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 a convoluted plot. It's not difficult to understand in the moment. Now, here's where uh, we need to address something right away because this is my first Bollywood movie. Okay, it's there's there's some of those on Netflix now. I've not sought them out again. Usually, because when people recommended them to me, it seemed like they were kind of recommending watch like we're going to pretend we enjoy this because watch how dumb this is. Um, so my stereotype of Bollywood, Bollywood is that they're all big, lavish musicals. I don't know if every Bollywood blockbuster, like, like it's, uh, it, they're obligated to have song and dance numbers in there. Now, this movie does not have that many. They've got a few, but it's, it's part of the plot. Yeah. Like they don't, like they and the British don't stop and like start dancing together. They don't break the fiction of the movie. There's, but it's very stylized in the, the, it's very like heightened awareness in the way that musicals are. Yeah. Like they don't, musicals don't take place on planet Earth. It's another dimension where physics work different. And this movie's the same way. It's like gravity works different in this universe and it's just understood. It's established very early. This is very, the motions are all very over the top. Nobody falls to the ground. They will like do several flips and then roll for like 50 feet and it looks like they've broken every bone in their body. Like everything is very big and over the top. So you guys, do you either of you know enough about Bollywood? Is it like a staple of, of every big hit movie there that they've got the song and dance productions? What I'll say is that I've watched three total Bollywood films, I believe, <laughs> at least of recent. Yeah. And the other two is by this same director. So I don't want that. That it feels like that going on the, the Inglorious Bastards. Like imagine watching three Tarantino films and assuming that's uh, all what, American. What American films. cinema is? Yeah, yeah. Americans love feet. Yeah, <laughs> Americans are <laughs> really, really like American feet, cinema feet is birds. really about feet. Yeah. So like I don't I don't know I I think I've seen a little Bollywood before this, but um, they tend to be known for yeah song and dance. I would. My, I guess my one complaint is I actually wanted more musical numbers because they go hard when they do they the musical do, numbers. They do, man. The Nachu yeah. one. Oh, holy God. shit! That one is awesome. That's yeah. the and it's, when I. I don't know if this is the same on any on everyone's, but when you uh, the autoplay clip for this movie on Netflix is the Nachu number. Oh wow! <clears throat> for me, anyway. Uh, I can't believe they spoiled that. Yeah, but Bahubali, I feel like both one and two also had slightly more musical numbers it maybe uh, or it could have just been that those that 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 total movie you know both parts is like five hours so maybe it just felt like there it's was hard more. to tell yeah yeah but uh, we also watched Ega, and there were musical numbers in that so i oh, mean yeah we did so we have watched other bollywood 
But again, we still have only watched three other ones, and two of them yeah. were by the same director of this movie, so it's like hard to say. But, but every single one of them is uh, delightfully uh, bizarre in the in how it, it, how awesome the action is. It's 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 they they all I, I don't know they again they seem to be doing movies better than us because like. It also requires actors. It's like old school acting where they have yeah. to be like song and dance people too. Uh, so they got to do it, it all. So- yeah, song and dance that would appear to kill a normal <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah, they are dancing <laughs> so hard. And it's, yeah. yeah, to to be clear, these you'll see the, uh, these guys do these elaborate fight scenes. It, especially the guy playing uh, Rama Raju is doing like the raid level choreography. Um, the beam is doing more like right. superhero movie type stuff, but they'll go right from that to hardcore musical numbers, like singing and dancing. Uh, it's yeah, it's just, yeah. It's like if Gene so, Kelly knew how to fight. Right. Too. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's two skills. That's, that's incredible. Okay. I, I'm going to clarify something in a moment, but what Tom, the, the number that Tom's referencing so to give you some fref- like frame of reference for how they handle it, normally in a Hollywood screenplay, and everyone on this podcast has written one, mm-hmm. on page 60 of your script is where you have the most pivotal moment uh, of some sort of action scene that totally raises the stakes, totally changes what's at stake. You can take any, any DVD off your shelf for the old people who still have physical DVDs. And just fast forward it to 60 minutes and play it and something will be exploding. Or if it's a romantic comedy, the characters will be screaming at each other and breaking up. Or somebody will be having a car accident. 60 minutes in is where, if you know what you're doing in a script, 60 minutes or 60 pages, something needs to happen that totally sends the film and the story off in a whole new direction. It's like a a holy crap moment. In RRR, exactly 60 minutes in music starts yes. <laughs> and they're pivotal because they're at this big get get together where one of the indian guys has been invited and he has invited the other one not knowing he's undercover thinks he's his friend it's actually a triple agent sort of situation where he thinks he's his friend but he's actually undercover but he's actually undercover still so it's like it's he is on his side but not in the way he thinks um and then the the evil british guy starts taunting them about how Indians don't know how to dance because he's like, we're cultured. And, and to be clear to the audience, I realize no British person actually thinks they're <laughs> the best dancers. That's part of the right. fiction of this movie. I, I realize that not even, not even the most evil white guys think, well, we're the best race because we're the best at dancing. Not even Nazis think that. But for the purposes of this movie, the evil British are like, well, I've, I've been to all, I've had all these, dance lessons i'm clearly sophisticated and cultured and you you brown people because one of these guys literally lives you know in the forest is like a villager rural villager who can't you know read or write or whatever and then those guys and they the two heroes respond uh yeah well there's a style of dancing i'm not sure you've heard of and then the movie just explodes (laughs) (laughs) into it's somehow the most violent <laughs> yeah. scene in the movie, which is them having a dance off with the their evil British captors and showing them like the spirit of this country you you think you're trying to break. Let us let us 
demonstrate it for you in the form of dance. <laughs> and it's the most striking scene in the whole movie. And it does look like seven or eight people either died or were paralyzed in the force of <laughs> learning how to do that dance and, and practicing. It really it. is the most violent sequence of the yeah. film. <laughs> yeah, this is like those were each like the fifth actor they had. It's like uh, the hardest like you got served dance rejoinder that has ever been so captured good. on film. It's like It's so incredible. <laughs> it's like dunking on a 5-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, how yeah, yeah. savage it is. Now. Um People who follow me from podcast to podcast know there's a thing that I talk about that I thought was kind of common knowledge, but no one I talk to about it is aware of it, which is that in the 1940s, 1950s, the top movies in America were yeah. often musicals, right? Like Singing in the Rain was not popular among women and the gays. It was popular right. with everybody. Like you had World War II veterans who would sit down and watch Gene Kelly dance and they were secure in their masculinity enough that because these guys like they still have shrapnel in them from D-Day and they're going to sit down and watch some dudes dance because that is dance is universally enjoyable among every culture yeah. of humans on planet Earth in all times and all places. It is the one of the oldest art forms there's evolutionary science behind why we do it, why we enjoy it. There are animals that do it. But but sometime after the rise of feminism in the 1960s, American males decided that watching people dance was gay. It was for the women or for the gays. So these days when there is a musical, they tend to market it to women and to the gays. And that's just understood because men are now so insecure in their masculinity that they're afraid if they go and watch a man dance, then that will mean they are they must want to have sex with him. So, in the 1970s, to fill the void of this this thing that men all secretly like to watch, they started importing kung oh. fu movies from Hong Kong. For you see, Jackie Chan, Samu Hung, all of those guys. They were trained in the Peking Opera School because dance and Kung Fu, as it is done in a movie, not as you would try to do it to a person, right. is a dance. Movie similar, Kung Fu yeah. is a dance. The The fight sequences, the, the people who you see doing those the fight scenes in movies yeah. have dance backgrounds. They trained in dance. They all did. That once with Bruce Lee was a competitive dancer. He won a cha-cha competition. There's photos of it in 19, from 1959. Where he's dancing with a woman in to see who's the best dancer, and there was no one there like, oh, Bruce Lee must be one of the gays. Because back then, these are all manly things to do. You have to be very strong to dance. If you ever get into a fight at a bar, and the guy you're fighting says, I am a male, I am a ballet dancer. That guy's about to destroy you. Yeah, that's it's literally, it's Patrick <laughs> Swayze in Roadhouse. Like, you're about, yeah. to, get, he, you're about he, to get kicked in the face by Dalton. Yeah, he throws human beings for a living and does it with precision. Like, these guys are made of muscle and their reflexes and balance is perfect. So when you see movie fight scenes and extras in the background, when you see them all, a whole room full of people doing kung fu, go look up each of those people on IMDb and I guarantee you, you will see they've also done, they were either trained in dance or they've been in dance movies because it is the same skill. Gymnastics, kung fu. Now, again... When people first watched MMA 
and saw two people fighting and realized, oh, that doesn't look like the Matrix. That looks like two guys rolling around on the ground <laughs> trying to strangle each other. Because people had not internalized that when you're watching a fight like scene in Matrix, a desperate murder, <laughs> right? When, when, and it's not it's not fun to watch unless you're really into MMA. It's like, oh, this isn't acrobatic at all. It's just it's a guy kneeing another guy in the face over and over again, and then he starts puking blood. That when you were watching a a beautifully choreographed fight scene in John Wick or The Matrix or pick your favorite movie where they actually have done choreographed. You know, not like a Liam Neeson movie. I mean, where they actually have taken the time to train the actress to fight. Both people have practiced the choreography. And note the word. It's the same word they would use. They, are, they have memorized moves that they're doing in sync. The guy they're kicking, the guy he kicks has practiced exactly what he's going to do. And those blocks and those punches, it is a choreographed dance. But we, because of the screwed up way we view masculinity... We can only watch dancing if you dress it up as two people trying to kill each other. Yeah, right. This has been that way for a long time. But if you watch now, like you watch The Matrix, like, you know, in that first scene where he, he fights um, Morpheus, they both stand up, they do their little pose, and then the music kicks in. And some of you, if you've seen the movie a bunch of times, you can hear the music in their head. And they are fighting to the music. That the directors of that movie knew that we would enjoy watching these people do precise athletic movements to music, but we had to have that veneer of combat in order to allow ourselves to enjoy it. Okay, so when you talk about Bollywood and you say that the like the DNA of, of song and dance musicals runs through every single movie, of course they're better at staging fight scenes. Right. Because it's the exact same, everything about the joy of seeing people move, the wire work, the over the top, it's the exact same thing. Whether you're choreographing a dance, a huge dance number, or a huge fight scene, it's the same skill, and it's appealing to the same parts of the brain. It's all still done to music. It's all done in a rhythm. The beats of, like, rising tension and all that, it's the exact same rules. If you know how to do one, you probably know how to do another, which is why you mentioned Patrick Swayze. He did Dirty Dancing, and then to get his male fans back, he did Roadhouse. Those two movies are secretly the same oh, genre. Yeah, yeah because I, 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 I have nothing to back this up, but I assume it triggers the same part of the brain. Like, it's the satisfying thing to watch. It's yeah. primal. But it's like watching almost like this form of order. Like, watching these things sync up perfectly, watching a good fight and watching a good dance number, I feel like my brain does the exact same thing for both. Well, no, I feel like what you're seeing in this movie is that they feel the freedom to make the fights truly more. I don't even, it, there's like a joy to it, a joy in the movement that they're very brutal, but they will allow them to be. It's moments that if you capture them in like a GIF and, and, and shared it on Twitter, I think people would assume it's like, oh, look how goofy this is. Yeah. But it's very theatrical, it's very stagey, but it's it's in a way that it does what a lot of movies fail to do, where every punch and every kick is like stretched out for the maximum amount of drama between the two characters. Like, like it will pull out a moment and make it this big, long thing where the guy sails through the air and it's really, it's not trying to shake the camera or try to simulate the chaos or whatever. It's very clear what's happening 
They, they don't the stuff where they've added in CGI and, and you know again it's not the CGI studios there are not as good as ones you have in the United States because they've just not been around as long. So you can you can kind of tell, but it's it's okay because the the sense the movie like takes place in like such a heightened reality yeah, it's, that it's like a lot of the sets are so big and elaborate like it's you can kind of tell they're fake but it's like that's right it's like perfectly in tone with the movie and that's you mentioned joy that's like something i did want to get out was this is sitting and watching this movie was one of the most joyful experiences i've had watching a movie recently just like genuine huge smile on my face for most of it uh i've i've talked to my tv during this movie more than i do with most other oh, movies. Yeah. It's it's Fury Road. <laughs> it like, really is. Yes. Level. Yeah. That's it. Right there. Like, yeah. it's the same feeling I, I felt watching Fury Road as I, as I did watching this movie, where it's just like every single new offering they make, you're just like, holy shit, what? It's it's incredible. Right, because- it's a, it's it, That's what a blockbuster movie like this should be. It's so fucking fun to watch. It really is. It's it's this it's. Part of why I keep saying, like, uh, why don't we make movies like this is because they know that they know that they can say, like, well, why not do that? Yeah. Why not add that? Like, OK, we all know Captain America isn't actually doing those things. Uh, why are we trying to ground it? You know, like, uh, why not do something absolutely ridiculous with the action? Um, I also think this movie makes a great use of bullet time, which, are, uh, you know. It's sort of, or, or I would call it like the Zack Snyder ramping. The slowdown, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's hot. Like, that's one of those things that I feel like I, I've, I'm over and most audiences are over. But the things they have them do is just so awesome. And like, again, it's, it's so hard to describe what makes it work. It's, it's part of it is almost like, okay, a character is going to fire an arrow to kill somebody else. Uh, why not have another character be drinking water and pouring the water in his mouth and have the arrow slice the water it's... and him make this ridiculously lucky shot through the water to kill someone else and you do it super slow? It's adding those little elements where it's like that realization of like, we don't need to explain for ourselves. It's kind of what I like about Moonfall and Roland Emmerich stuff where they realize like the audience, if they're on board, if they know what you're doing if they're if they understand like what type of movie it is they're gonna forgive a lot and part of i think what we haven't mentioned that is in bahubali as well um and is definitely in this is that part of what makes that work is they also just make the characters very charismatic and give them emotional stories that we are able to kind of follow and and right you know, like it does i th- i think with the the ramping stuff definitely it's what jason said it's it's not used i mean it it is you know there still are using it because it looks cool but like um it's it's heightening like when the arrow comes through the water it's like when we think beam's about to be killed but he's surrounded by the british soldiers and then it 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 slows all uh, super down so we can see the the arrow cut through his water and and kill the guy right when he's about to be killed so they're like using it in this to to heighten the dramatic moments of it instead yeah. of just like you know it it's ramps up and ramps back down when leonidas is punching a guy in 300 and it doesn't mean anything it just looks cool exactly right. there's a yeah, there's an instinctive understanding of 
you're doing it to capture the motion of what they're doing and to string out the most emotion out of it and not look how cool this guy's abs look or look how cool this shot is. Because a lot of my issue with 300, I feel like there's a lot of look how cool this shot is. My issue with Michael Bay is there's a lot of I'm I'm moving the camera and zooming in as if this is the most important moment of the movie, but it's on a random line somebody says. Like, like I don't know what these movements mean. It just, I know they look cool. So there'll be like comic relief moments in Michael Bay movies where the camera like does a slow, dramatic zoom in on their face. It's like, well, why are you doing that? And the answer is like, well, it just it looks badass. It's it's like, yeah, but it's just Joe Pitaliano making a joke. Like, why are you? Yes. I think a lot of, um, and on that, just on that subject, like a lot of the successful Michael Bay movies are often the ones where the actors are doing so good uh, or the writing or whoever wrote it, like that where it's it's all in the performances and stuff where it's like the Michael Bay stuff is fine, but it's not why we're enjoying the movie. It's uh, it's it's done a little. It, I think it's because it's done art, more artlessly. Like it's yeah. it's like what Jason says, highlighting, giving like huge uh, significance to a throwaway comic relief line uh, it, that adds up There's, over the course yeah. of a two and a half hour movie. So like you're I, exhausted for the points that are actual drama that you're supposed to experience. Yeah, for people interested, uh, there's a, a YouTube that no longer updates and adds videos, but every frame of painting did a great video on why Michael Bay doesn't quite work and this is more or less what they talk about which is that he can't not be michael bay even when it requires him not to be uh every shot he's doing this yeah because um, sometimes you can just set the camera down and let the actors do their thing yeah and and he seems to think where well, no the camera's got to be on like an animatronic rig that swings around <laughs> while they're talking right. it's like no let them let the actors act no, i've but, got like an image in my mind so, of michael bay like it, filming just like a dramatic scene in a living room between two people and he's using this like elaborate spider drone yeah. camera to shoot it yeah i guarantee you that's exactly what it looks like there's an 800 pound robot arm that's like um so now we should point out because we've not really talked about this the the, the reason the movie's called rrr that was a working title for the because that's R for the three superstars involved. This very famous director, Rahamuli, is that how you say his name? Rajamuli. Rajamuli. Okay, uh, I believe. Um, yeah, and then the two actors, Ram Sharan and then uh, Rama Rao, I think. But again, I'm saying them wrong. That is not in any way how they would say their names if they were on this podcast. Uh, but that's the point. Is that that's. These guys are a big enough deal that, that the working title of the movie was just there. This is the three R's coming together. Like that's the, and that meant something. And eventually they decided we're just going to keep that title because it works across. They knew they were going to be releasing this in many, many markets and languages and just calling it RRR would, would avoid having to come up with a different title for each region that makes sense. Like they would translate easily. It's like, no, this is these three guys. So the way this starts is, you, you know, you have the basically a prologue of this little girl getting kidnapped, and then it introduces the two stars um, that, that are going to play in Ram and Bean. But the first guy is introduced, as Tom alluded to earlier, in, in, in a huge fight scene where he beats the piss out of like 
I don't know, 5,000 yeah. people. So many dudes. In the course of so a, many dudes. In the course of arresting, <laughs> uh, he's, he's, he's working for the British undercover, but we don't know that at the time. But when he appears on the screen, he's the one with the mustache, for those of you just have struggled to separate people. He immediately appears on the screen. I was like, oh, that's that's a Bollywood movie star. Like that guy's world, he's super famous. There's no question when you look at him, he's a movie star. I, I, he just has a, that gravity about him. It's the way he looks, the way he acts, the, everything about it, the way he walks. And when they tell him, go, go into the crowd and go arrest that man. And you realize he sets his hat down. And jumps 50 feet over the air, over the fence to go out in this giant rioting crowd. It's like, oh, he's going to he's going to beat the piss out of 5000 people right now. I'm going to I'm going to watch. And then he successfully does that, drags like the guy back through the crowd and arrests him and takes him back inside the fence. Um, and that's his introduction that we immediately cut to the other guy being the guy who lives in the forest. And he is introduced by beating the piss out of a tiger. <laughs> yeah, pour it blood also, all over his body to 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 kidnap a tiger. Yeah, to yeah, to, to, they have to trap a tiger, and he's leading it through the jungle, and he has to to physically fight it himself. So that's how this movie. Basically, that's that's if there was a screenwriting class, I would show this as like how to introduce. If you have two action stars in in your movie, and you want to introduce them back to back and show like their their two methods and their two places in life and and who they are. And in both cases, you can see why. Like, oh yeah, these guys are. These guys are extremely famous, uh, and yeah. they probably their faces on a poster presumably sell a lot of tickets in India. It's like the the cooler way to do Hobbs and Shaw, I think. But it's the same idea Absolutely. where it's like, oh, it's it's these competing action stars, so they have to have introductions that are equally badass. How do we pull that off? This is how you pull that off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. only these scenes have stakes. Yes. yes, and the opening of the Hobbs and Shaw, the whole thing is how glib it yeah. is, and this is something. I'm worried that why I'm about to say may come off as ignorant or possibly offensive. This is a zero irony movie. There is no nod and wink at the camera. And that's great. There's no sarcasm in the dialogue. There is no dramatic moment that is undermined by somebody making like a goofy joke or a pop culture reference. I am not suggesting that in india that they don't have sarcasm or that they're not smart enough to have it i'm saying that the style of this movie and i do not doubt that part of it is that this movie when they produced it they were releasing it in 50 different languages the principal cast including the stars had to record it in four different languages so the version on netflix is in hindi they had to do because that is the reality of releasing a movie in that market right I'm guessing any kind of extremely subtle, subtle sarcasm wordplay does not move well across cultures, no matter what two cultures. Yeah, I think we talked this, this thing we talked about, about on a, a, a cracked article or something we did at Crack one time. But yeah, it's it's a big reason why like uh, Hollywood comedies don't typically do well overseas. This yeah, but it makes yeah. perfect sense because it, comedy is relying on you know like. Awkward situations, unless they are universal, unless it is slapstick. Like if you took an episode of Arrested Development and even showed it in parts of America, it doesn't do well. Right. <laughs> because it's so – the way it does callbacks and stuff and the things that it assumes you know, the knowledge that it assumes you have, it just wouldn't work. It's not just not because people aren't smart enough. It's the same thing if you took some great comedy from Japan 
if it's very broad, if you show me some you know broad, ridiculous Japanese game show, I'll laugh at it. But if it's something that's truly a subtle work of of genius, and it's you know it's going to have all sorts of references to Japanese culture and all the foibles of the different classes and stuff there. It's going to be lost on me. Well, here, I, I don't doubt they partially do this out of necessity, but it is refreshing to see a movie that is truly straight. You are like, this is, it's true straight emotion and it's not afraid of letting an emotional moment or yeah. it's not afraid of being corny, I guess. It's not, right. af- it's not afraid of being genuine. Like, and yeah, that's, and I- I, that's I, like a lot of blockbusters like we were saying, a lot of Hollywood blockbusters, there's, especially in the Marvel age, seem to have this instinct where they have to undercut each genuine emotional moment with a throwaway joke or a pop culture reference. It's like right. we're nervous about being genuine, and it is cool to watch a big, over-the-top blockbuster action movie like this that is just completely genuine. They're playing it completely straight. Yeah, and I I guarantee they know they, know they don't need to. Because they, I, I think they know and they, they lean into it is that the, the type of action they do is so unique that you can't help but to laugh at how outlandish it often is. And I think they know that, right? They're like, let, that's, that's kind of, I think, how they work in the comedy where it's, they unironically just do the things. And they know, like, this is ridiculous. And that's sort of the point. Uh, yeah. Kind of the way Hobbs and Shaw does. But, Again, Hobbs and Shaw, they you watch this and you're like, look at all the shit you could have done. This, like, yeah, okay, uh, 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 using the rock's muscles to to weigh down a helicopter, like that's ridiculous. But you know what's really ridiculous is two guys with one person on the other's shoulders climbing a watchtower and flipping through the air, pinwheeling and killing that man who never will know. How ridiculous his death! Right, truly that's was. that's the real uh, tragedy of that character's death is that this, yeah, this nameless soldier has no idea how much his death fucking rocked. Yeah, yeah, he never gets to see that. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's just he gets kicked in the back by a pinwheeling tower of men. Right, that's the joy, and they don't need someone smirking or trying to make jokes in every scene. It's just like just let the scenes speak for themselves yeah like, uh, well, like you said it's the f- you can work in genuine human moments in that because the characters in the trip or in the trip in the in the in the the, the, the movie are just you know do, do, like doing their thing actually playing out a drama so you kind of get both it's i mean it's you you said you compared it to per- fury road earlier and that's like perfect because there's like yeah. shit shit in fury road that's like so like you you have to just laugh when you see it because yeah. it's when so saw, like awesome. Yeah, when I saw the Doof Warrior for the first time, I laughed. That was the reaction. It wasn't it wasn't like fear or awe. It was like oh my god yeah. because it's just so over the top that you you love it. And it, it doesn't and it doesn't take anything away from the actual real genuine effective emotional moments that are in Fury yeah. Road. And it's the same it's thing the, in this movie. Yeah, it's the difference between laughing with and laughing at. I would imagine. Where it's like, you're laughing because of, like, I can't believe they did something that bold and outlandish. And they know that they're doing it. Whereas, like, some other movies, like, have a character who's essentially, like, making you being like, oh, look how ridiculous this all is. We can laugh at it. You know, like, uh, and it's like, we don't need that. We don't need someone to remind us. Uh, it's, it's so much better to play it completely serious, which is what they do. For example. Yes. yes. 
This movie's this movie's three and a half hours long, so the midpoint action scene is it comes ninety minutes in, and this is where Beam they finds out that they the child he finds out where it's being held, and specifically the child's being held in a massive military compound containing all of the British soldiers and where it's where their governor lives, but it's this huge campus of buildings and barracks, and that child is in there, and so you see him planning with his friends. Like I've got, we've, I've got to go in there and get her. So he's like, you see them working it out, and it's like they've come up with. There's a truck that they're going to drive in under the guise of it being like a shipment of something, and then he's going to be hiding in the back. So you think, okay, it's going to be that thing where they roll out like a cart of grain or or laundry or something. And then he's like clinging to the bottom of it and they roll that into the building and it's going to be this tense scene where he has to sneak around, find the girl, try to get her out and then he'll get caught and then there'll be an action scene where he has to fight in the hallways and then ultimately try to get her out of the building. That's what you suspect is going to happen. (laughs) Instead, you see the truck rolling up to the gates of this huge compound. You see the driver. He's nervous, you know, worried they're going to inspect the contents. And then he steps on the gas and crashes through two gates, jackknifes the trucks, hits hits the, the brakes and spins the wheel around so it flies over sideways. They roll off the canvas cover to the truck, revealing beam and like 20 wild yeah. animals he's brought That's with him. That's why he was fighting the time in the beginning. And they launched themselves out of the side of it. And this slow motion where he's holding two torches in the air in midair while him and a crowd of wild predators all land among this massive army. He is there to take on all of the the entire... He's not sneaking past The plan was to slingshot him and a fucking forest of killer predators. And when you guys say killer predators... How how they gathered up... I have to know also deer. Yeah, there's a deer in there. That's (laughs) true. Like somebody gets killed by an antelope. Yeah. And they just start running wild, just just mauling everyone in the British Army. And it's like, okay, so my animals will take care of like 10% of the British Army that is occupying India. And then I will single-handedly right. beat the asses of the other 90%. And which he, he proceeds to, to do that. And then partway through, the other guy, Rom, shows up. And then this the big showdown between the two because at this stage they think they're enemies because Rom is – Acting as if he's under, he's a British officer, but he's actually undercover, but he can't blow his cover, so he has to fight him, and then they have this fight. Um, and it's in that moment, it is such a joyous thing, but they don't, for example, cut to like a character, like a British character, like, yeah, exactly, what dropping his <laughs> you know, monocle, where, where it's like, look how flying through the air, yeah, look how silly this is because in this universe this is a thing that can happen now they weren't expecting exactly this but it's it's established that this is a thing that is possible and this is one of the possible solutions to this problem but they clearly intentionally staged it so you thought it was going to be some sort of subtle infiltration of the facility and it is not and then what ensues and I, some of you are going to know what I mean when I say this, and some of you are not. Throughout the chaos that ensues, for every single frame of it, and there are many stages, they go across multiple locations, there are many twists and turns in the fight, there's a fight over a key to her cell that they lose, and then 
throughout every frame of it, it is completely clear what is going on. The geography of where everything is let out is, is laid out. Where the girl is being held, where our hero is, his progress towards reaching her, it is perfectly clear at every stage. And this is something that even huge blockbusters by the most accomplished directors get wrong. Because in many scenes, you know, the popular thing, people complain about shaky cam and fight scenes to hide the fact that your actors have not spent months training. And by the way, these two guys did spend months yeah. training, as you can tell, because they're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> the, the nachu, that, the nachu that, dance more didn't so destroy than that. them both. Yeah. <laughs> if you watch like the battle scenes of of the Hobbit, the new Hobbit trilogy, the bad Hobbit movies as, po as opposed to original Lord of the Rings, there are many cases where they will just cut to generic just people fighting. It's like filler film they had of people fighting each other. And it's not clear which side is winning, what they're trying to do, where they're trying to go. I'm telling you, it is extremely difficult to stage a scene. You know, there's it looks like there's hundreds of extras or CGI extras, either one. It's a sprawling location with a bunch of action. But at every single stage, you know exactly where this guy is, how close he is to reaching his goal, where he's trying to get, get to. And then as there are all these twists and turns, because Rom comes in, totally thwarts his plan. Then they have to fight each other. But while they're fighting each other where he's trying to go, why he's trying to get there, it's all totally clear. So the drama in every punch and every time he gets hit and falls down is maximized because you know exactly what it means for, oh, because this happened, right. he now can't get here. That fundamental simple thing gets screwed up in a lot of movies. In another and huge budget Netflix action movie, Michael Bay's Six Underground, the that I had to turn that movie off halfway through, but like that is the worst example I can think of off the top of my head of exactly the problem you're talking about. You know, accomplished director, big budget Hollywood action movie that just completely fucks up the geography. Like I never have any idea what's oh, happening yeah. in that movie, and especially when uh, and I am I I got through six minutes or seven minutes or I got through less than ten minutes of Six Underground, um, but uh. uh when it's something I assume Michael Bay style where it is over the top, it's really important. And that, that is a key to the action in this, which mm -hmm. is that the action functions like a Rube Goldberg machine. The way Rom shows up in this scene, if you remember, is with a carriage pulled by horses that is on fire. Yeah. Uh, he, it's, I don't know if he lit it on fire. I don't know who lit it on fire. That's right. But it's he on fire. He unhooks the uh, horses, so the horses rush out as projectiles yeah. of their the own. Horses, the horses are just trying to get out of there. <laughs> the horses are like, what did you bring me into? Uh, and then the carriage goes, and it hits a, like a post or something, and it flips completely head over heels, and, it's a and then it goes towards... Um, you know, uh, 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 shit. Uh, beam, uh, I think, right? Beam, thank you. Yeah, it goes towards beam, uh, and he has to dodge it. And so something like that, it's like you could shaky cam that, or you just show it. And yeah, it's because it so rules. It's, yeah, it's like they're showing their work where they're like, this is going to lead to this, which is going to lead to this. And we're just going to show you it with uh, like these very, yeah, very clear shots, wide shots of just like, you're just going to sit there and appreciate this. This ridiculous thing that we set in motion, uh, and that's very key. It's it's 
it's doesn't it's not trying to hide anything with its choreography it wants us to see it yeah. it's the same with the dancing the dancing is often just like here's a two shot wide two shot the, of both of them the, dancing. the dance sequences are all very much filmed like a music video yeah or they, filmed they like, want you to see it yeah filmed like um singing in the rain filmed like yeah. old musicals that are yeah. like we train these actors to dance for three minutes for this song we're not gonna cut why would we cut like oh, that? Three that minutes. I think Nachu. I think Nachu's a little longer than three minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know they what are I mean. Attacking that song. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Um, I love, by the way, when um, when Beam gets um, uh, arrested by Rom, he says, "I didn't do anything wrong," and I don't know if that's a. Um, lost in translation situation because the dude just released he just so many animals a menagerie of killer yeah, animals into a party that i i presumably has also innocent people like not just like the ruthless uh uh invaders but probably like children and and the help and listen stuff man like that. they're they're having a like, party while they're it's having like, a they're having a party while uh, a, a stolen child is in a cage inside. Oh, yeah. So, you know, they, they, they made their bed. Yeah. 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 Here's a I'm tiger not, now. He probably has broken, <laughs> broken prison. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yes, we're saying. He he, there, are probably, there are probably laws on the books against what we just saw yeah. him do there. Because <laughs> to be clear, for, we're making this sometimes sound like it's kind of a G-rated movie. Oh, no. The, the violence is extremely graphic. Like, when he unleashes these animals, you see them start just ripping the throat out of every, every... I think that's part of why it works, is because they do, you know, it is this huge over-the-top thing to do, so you, 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 you know, it hits you like the Doof Warrior, where you're like, oh, shit! And then yeah. as it continues, you see that it really did just drop like a nuke in the center of this party. Like, those animals... It's... There's, there's a lot of... It's of, something of, that joker would do yeah it's joker level shit yeah <laughs> like it's and not like it's quite a move joker yeah. yeah it is it is it is yeah. this movie is violent yeah not like super oh, yeah. super violent i would but... say it's more violent than bahubali from what i remember more blood i, uh, I want to say bahubali was more like lord of the rings like it was more that kind where it yes, was, it was it a was lot a... of like bloodless violence in my memory anyway a, an epic like yeah like war war story as opposed to this which has elements of that but this i I don't even know how to classify this goddamn movie Uh, i also want to note this movie does have humor uh i don't want people to think it's completely serious there's the part the courtship scene yeah where they like they uh stop they they uh joyfully stalk the lady uh and pop her tires yeah i believe yeah they pop her tires there's there's a whole section of this movie where where rom is just trying to get beam a date with this nice british lady uh, so yeah. it be- it becomes like kind of a buddy rom com, which is what leads up to the nacho dance, right? And I wouldn't say it's laugh out loud, but some of the jokes there, I think, worked. Like the idea of when she he asks what her name is, and she says, "Don't call me ma'am. My name is Jenny," and he thinks that's the entire name because he just doesn't, you know, it's a doesn't speak English thing. Yeah. yeah, so he's like, "Wow, they have really long names." Like there's stuff like that where it's like, "Oh, that's cute." That's a, you know, yeah. It's, it's a like, perfectly it's like, fine joke. It's like cute rom com stuff in that section yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. My point was that it's not like Paul Rudd style, right? It, it, I say it's like irony free. Like yeah. there's there's humor, but it's not like at the expense of itself. It's not like, calling us silly. dumb for watching it. Yeah. Yeah, look how it's not glib. It's like yeah. look how silly this all is. It's totally they're all playing it 
totally, totally straight. And I, it's weird because I'm so, because of who I am and what I do, I'm so irony poisoned that it almost is weird to me when I see humans just behaving normally. Yeah, right. It's sort of like the, I saw an article about the new Top Gun. Have you guys seen it yet? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, I have not, but there, there are people complaining about getting uh, like dizzy or whatever from the the air, the, the scenes shot from inside the planes, because they were used to a scene like that being shot with a guy sitting in a fake cockpit in front of a green screen, and then they just put in a, a horizon and a sky, it's CGI, and it's all done in a way that is pleasing to look at. Whereas this is Tom Cruise in an actual physical airplane where they've installed six cameras in the cockpit and that sky and horizon you see spinning around is the actual sky that looks like something you could actually crash into and die. Yes. So actually seeing real footage of someone inside a plane was dizzying because it's like, oh, I'm looking at something real. I'm not looking at a something that was built on a computer and my brain knows it. Like my brain knows that Tom Cruise, the actor, not the not Maverick, the character, that Tom Cruise, the actor, could die here, right? Because <laughs> he, he's in a machine that's going two thousand miles an hour and is flipping upside down and is like like a hundred feet over the ground. It's like, oh, this this human being could could die because he did probably almost die several times while filming it, and that people found themselves like disoriented watching it. It's like because your brain knows. Your brain knows you're watching. Well, it's kind of here. Like my effect of seeing human beings talk to each other without like a layer of glib sarcasm over everything was disorienting yeah. because it's like, oh, they're just saying what they mean. Right. <laughs> they're just being genuine. They're feeling honest emotions <laughs> yeah. and they're stating them and they're allowing themselves to feel them. They're not ashamed of feeling something. Right. <laughs> yeah. That is a great way of putting it. It frightens yeah, me. It, yeah. There's, <laughs> I think it's because it's the thing where movies are scared that if they try to if a if a superhero movie or something tries to put genuine human emotions which isn't to say they don't you know there's obviously yeah they do a they lot just, of earned sad yeah. scenes but i think like when it comes to like the smaller stake stuff everybody is very you know like everybody has a joke in every scene there i think it's more of like they're scared of the idea of having a scene that doesn't also have a joke in the scene right for example, I, I it bugs me, and the, this is this is an incredibly unpopular opinion. It bugs me that in the, in the Marvel movies, that Thor has the exact same sense of humor as Chris Pratt's character as, as Star Lord. Like that, the two of them can banter with each other, and they will make sort of like vague allusions to the fact that one of them is literally from a different universe. But at the same time, like his sense of timing and everything is still very much it's human. It's it's very like twenty twenty one America person raised on ninety sitcoms. You know what I mean? Like he has the same sense of I don't know. Like they can make the same glib jokes, and it's all kind of sounds the same to me. And I know that part of that is the what people call the Joss Whedon effect that he kind of brought that to TV, where every everybody talks in like pop culture references and and it's all very cutesy 
it's it's a situational uh, it's I don't a know. situational thing where like for example if the comedy comes from just like what's happening in the plot like i right now off the top of my head i can't remember jokes in mad max fury road for example but i think when they did happen they're like relevant to the movie and the situation of the characters they don't just banter right they don't just like no there's no banter uh, in mad max. yeah and the marvel films have a lot of banter and that's fine a lot of movies have that uh uh i think it's that's the sort of stuff and i i feel this way with certain types of action as well that is totally fine um but it's going to date the film meaning that in 10 years from now 15 20 it's gonna feel old um as opposed to i would argue a movie like um mad max or like die hard like those feel very timeless because usually the humor is from the situations and characters not many references, you know, like yeah. Tony Stark is filled with references. It won't even necessarily uh, be date, just be dated. You, they can almost be inaccessible. Like if you watch, yeah. if you watch, like uh, the, you know, we all grew up watching like Looney Tunes, and they they'll make like pop culture references about the 1940s in those. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Right, exactly. Or like Airplane, which is still pretty funny, but like half of the jokes in that are references to like commercials and stuff. Yeah. yeah. From 1980. You know, there's jokes where it's like, oh, we have Ben and Jerry's ice cream named after the superheroes. And that's a joke. And it's like, that's cute. But then the farther you get away from that, you know, I'm sure Ben and Jerry's will be around for a while. But you know what I mean? Where it's like, those are references to modern things. Yeah. Modern products, um, pop culture that are just, yeah, it's, it's, and I I think that's why comedy, you know, that tends to have that problem a lot uh, by design, I would say. But when you start working that into blockbusters, it creates a weird situation where like blockbusters are supposed to be like, you go back and watch Jurassic Park. They don't make jokes about like the pop culture at the time in that. Yeah, there's no they Jay Leno jokes in it. <laughs> yeah, they know not to. Um, every now and then someone will say a phrase, you know, or something that might have been a reference, you know. Here's Johnny, etc. But like, for the most part, it's, yeah, they know to avoid that or they should know to avoid that. And uh, I forget where this conversation started and how it relates to this movie. Mainly just... No, it's just me saying that there's there's a difference between having humor and having irony or having sarcasm. It's it's because, I feel, yeah, I feel like one of them doesn't... It's not as universal or, or it kind of undermines. And, and I know that a lot of people got annoyed with that element of the Marvel movies, Um but I think a lot of that just stems back to the fact that the first one was a Robert Downey Jr. action comedy in Iron Man, and they decided that was the template. But it's like, yeah, but that's specifically Robert Downey Jr., and he's playing a character who's a glib dickhead. Like, it shouldn't be – it shouldn't then be, you know, two movies later where, like – um you know, where you can have, like, Thor Ragnarok, which, again, that was a comedy, but it's like, okay, but you have you have Bruce Banner – doing the same little jokey bits as everyone else. And you have Jeff Goldblum, who's literally from another planet doing like everybody's doing the same style of comedy. And it just becomes apparent that, well, we're not in this universe. We're acting, we're watching actors do, do comedy with each other, which I don't know. It's, I'm sure it's fine. It's just that this movie RRR, I think if you showed it to somebody a hundred years from now, it would play exactly the same. Yes. And it's a period piece, but I think they would enjoy everything about it. It's so visceral and it's so so joyous. I think 
you know, it takes place 100 years ago already, but there's nothing about the way it's made where I think someone couldn't sit down and watch it in the year 2122 and get the exact same joy out of it. I think it is timeless in that way because the, the things that are great about it are things that are universal, like the charisma of these two guys and the way the action is staged and the emotion, uh, the emotional stakes, the way they're not afraid to take the time to build those stakes. I think that would play forever. Right. Unless unless people will look back and go, yeah, this is we this is before we made this director do every movie from here on. Like, of course, like, of course, <laughs> right. like, I don't know why you're showing me this. This is just how how our government works now. Like, we've based everything off of this movie, which they really should. It's a perfect movie. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> this has, yes. This has a hammer execution in it. Oh, it does. And it's not, it's not funny. <laughs> it's like it's not, not funny. No. Um, not ha-ha funny. Yeah. I mean, uh, I didn't... Oof, that's a... They yeah. didn't show it. They don't show it. It's 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 not ha-ha funny. It was more of just like, oh, Christ, funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh there's a lot there's a lot of um there's the whip scene that's Oof. intense yeah yeah they, 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 they full-on little... have the braveheart scene basically and yep. it's a and yeah where she apparently brought her own whip yeah she did she tosses him down a gnarlier whip because she's like yeah. you're not whipping him good enough yeah 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 it's fucked that up. is the braveheart yeah. thing where his mm-hmm. his thing is uh, it, it's very much too uh, i assume this is both like we said, based off of historical things that happened. Um, but it, it's very much like the two different types where he's becoming a martyr and like yeah. inspiring the people while the other guy is just taking them down from the inside. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's, yeah. The, the, the guy has to whip his friend. And at that stage, he, he knows like he, he has to, he's undercover and he's been put in charge of torturing right. him. And so it's this heartbreaking scene where he has to, um, uh, yeah, but it, it's as well as things where it's it, it. There's no point in us like spoiling it. Like you, once you get there, if if you buy into, if you watch a movie and you buy into it, and I think it does a good job of like drawing you because the style is distinct from what any movie you've seen. It, it is a Bollywood movie. Like it will once you are drawn into it and you kind of are familiar with like, okay, this is how this movie it works this is how you know it's the style is a little bit broader than what you're used to like it's just um once you're into like by that by that point in the movie like you should be totally oh, feeling yeah. that um because it's it's violent but not not for the point of being gratuitous you will understand why it's as horrific as it is it, and it, again it walks you know. that line where it doesn't like you feel emo- the the emotions of each scene uh, and you, but it is its own world at the same time. Yeah. But, you know, they've established pretty early. And I guess uh, another example, yeah, we definitely have to go, don't have to go through all the, um, scenes or even all the action scenes. But like, uh, another good example for me of like, what, what Hollywood needs to learn. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a random scene, but when he's saving, um, Rom from the, he's in the solitary confinement oh yeah in the in the like the ground cage yeah yeah he's like in an underground cell yeah and he has to save him by basically just crawling on the ground and there's a light shining and he has to avoid it and it's again it's like okay does that feel completely realistic not really but it's we know the rules we understand what's going on uh and in this world it makes sense and then when he finds him and he has to um get him out of there 
He does it by just tearing the prison door up. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and but- that's the stuff where I appreciate where it's like another movie could maybe make someone like, oh, I'm going to tie this onto here. Or I'm going to make it seem like slightly more realistic, but it's like, no, nah, just have them tear it off. The well, yeah. point is to get get them out of the scene. And they've already established these two as like pretty much superhuman. Exactly. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they established throughout the film that both of these guys are superheroes. They're superhuman. Right. And that's the stuff where it's like, it's the, it's the, these are, it's all make-believe. It's all bullshit. Yeah. Why not just do, do the fun version of everything, you know? Yeah, and also this guy absolutely looks like he could. Yeah. Yes. Tear, tear the hinges off. Yeah. Of the, yeah. <laughs> an underground cage door. These guys are both huge. Yeah. They're, they're both. But they never it, like. For example, when they, we first realize they're superhuman, um, like I believe it's when he lets all these animals out and he grabs a chain that's attached to a post and he just tears the post out and he's swinging the post by the chain. And like before that moment, I'm pretty sure he never does anything. Like, um, I mean, he subdues like, a tiger Hulk. with his bare hands. Yeah, when, when we yeah. meet him, you, you see him. Basically, it's his strength against the tigers, and it's the only thing that lets the tiger get free is that it breaks yeah. a rope. Right. But he's like physically holding it back. It's it's like caught in a net, and he's holding on to the ropes, and is like restraining. But yeah, the, uh, again, the point is they have established prior to that point that he can do that. It wouldn't be like if it was. It's, yeah, it's it's frog on a hot plate where like. That guy beating up the crowd, they make it so it's kind of a struggle for him. Like, it, it's not easy for him to take on, what, 3,000 people or whatever? Yeah. Well, that's where it differs from, like, Hobbs and Shaw, where they constantly, the joke is, like, th- those guys can't be right. hurt. In this in this movie, these guys, you they do a great job of selling it, like, oh, they're not going to make yeah. it out of this. Like, this is impossible. Every, they get hurt. They get they bleed. Every like, fight yes. is the fight of their lives. Yes, they every they time really, just they do a really, after. really the movie does a really great job of like we keep saying how it you feel the drama in the in the action sequences, even though they're extremely over the top. Uh, yeah, it does a really good job of 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 really heightening that in every sequence where it's like they're they're getting like beat to shit and and they're just fighting through it because they're they're just so powerful. You guys so powerful. They're so powerful. <laughs> The end, so, like, yeah, the arrow scene, I feel like we have to talk about, right? Sure. Um, because that is amazing. Because they run into the army, and I I guess it's um, Rom, we looked it up. So he goes up to a statue that has its own bow and arrow, which, that, that seems weird. Um, and he takes the bow and arrow, and I, I believe he's, the way he looks at the end is similar to that god. I believe that's the idea. We looked it up, and there was a... Like, I, you know, it's, it, this is one of those things I'm extremely ignorant about. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that's the significance, because he shows up and everybody's, like, in awe. Uh, and then he proceeds it's to... It's one of the... It, that's the one thing that is... It's assuming you know culturally. Yeah. It, it would be kind of like if you were in a culture that had never heard of Santa Claus, and you, start, you tried to watch, like, A Miracle on 34th Street, it would be hard to puzzle out. Right, because it doesn't. These movies don't have to explain to American audience who Santa Claus is. Um, and again, I realized that me comparing this god, this <laughs> one god of the the, the, the gods of in the, the one of the manifestations of, of Shiva or whatever, the, uh, me comparing them to Santa Claus, I realized could probably trigger a worldwide boycott of this podcast. Sure, I, I'm saying that there are cultural things. 
that movies in Hollywood don't feel the need to explain because it's understood. It's just assumed the audience knows. And so it's, it's like, like the movies don't stop and explain who Jesus is when we see it. Yeah. Yeah. See, now, see, that would have been a better example <laughs> than Santa Claus. <laughs> then when, when I'm talking about another country's religion <laughs> or or you would have in a sitcom somebody say well and he jumped off there like spider-man they would not then have to explain who well, spider-man, spider-man is, is a yeah. character yeah. Yeah. everybody knows spider-man is well here the fact that he is revealed to be the uh the descendant of this of this god of of war of whatever and he takes on the garb of that like when he emerges from the flames wearing that that I assume is something that no one in India in the intended audience needed to explain. That I just took it that this is me being, you know, sheltered. Oh, that yeah. I don't know. I don't necessarily know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, but I, we. Yeah, you get the idea of what's going on. You know, I definitely yeah. knew what the the that it was a significant. You understand thing. the significance of it. Yeah, it's also not load bearing because he then proceeds to tie. Uh, grenades onto arrows and yeah, other. And- he just starts <laughs> ramboing the shit out of people. Yeah. Uh, in just the best way. That's so uh, good. And then yeah. Beam joins and in. Not to be, I think the, the best comparison to try to be as sensitive as possible, it would be like when Hulk Hogan looks like he's going to lose a match, but then Hulkamania overcomes mm-hmm. him. I think it's a lot, lot like that. Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. is it, you would, I believe, you, you I don't, you don't exactly have to explain like what it means when the Hulkster starts shaking his finger. <laughs> yeah, it's the Hulkamania. It's from this is a love from the Hulkamaniacs in the audience that has healed his wounds, and and because here the whole point is he's been grievously wounded and he can't walk, and then he when he comes out from that he he's been healed, and it's right. you know, it, um, it's a statue of Rama, by the way, and his name is Ram. So you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I I literally went to Wikipedia and looked up what is tried to understand what it was, right. but it's I realized there was. The more I talked about it, the more ignorant I would just yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can move on. <laughs> it's worth noting because it is the one thing that I think someone in American audience would would maybe find slightly confusing, like they would think they skipped a scene or something somewhere. But it's, you know. We were talking about the arrow scene, um, which escalates into um, – we haven't talked about the horse in the, in the motorcycle, which comes up multiple times. They save a child near the beginning, uh, which gets – it's 40 minutes into the credits – they save a child and then they fall underwater and then they shake hands underwater and the credits start. Although it's not the credits, it's the main title and then a montage of them just having fun. Yeah, which them, is fucking of great. them being the best of friends. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's just them being buds. They're just, just being pals, guys yeah. being dudes. But I love, yeah, and then they come back at the end with one with a motorcycle, one with a horse. The motorcycle lights on fire, and he sends it into the the palace, right into the royal TNT room, which I love that. Yeah, it's amazing. There's a couple moments like that where, again, it's like, who ca- who cares? Like, the uh, I love at the very end when they're like, Everywhere it's the we did it and they're they're getting back together with their family and stuff and jenny the love interest is this just there and it's like where where was she like she she disappears from the movie yeah and then at the end she's just like there with them and it's like oh okay it's fine that said we you you guys have both compared this to fury road yes yeah this this does the same thing that fury road does where there is a tremendous amount of labor and care 
into doing all of the setup and payoff stuff. Yes. Where the one character's necklace means something and it's going to mean something again and again and again. Like character won't like how this person finds out they're related to this person because he noticed this necklace, which we've previously established, and then at the end of the movie he's going to lose the necklace, gonna like props come back again and again and again. When they have an an action scene, the chaos, as you mentioned, you called it like a Rube Goldberg machine. It's exactly like that. Because this guy will kick this guy. It will knock him into a lamppost, but it's got like a big flaming brazier, like cage at the top with, with fire in it. It will fall down. It will set this other thing on fire. That thing that's on fire will then cause this thing to catch on fire. And then they are fighting through that fire. And because that thing is on fire, he grabs this flaming thing and he punches a tiger with it. Everything is there's so much like storyboarding and figuring out of the location of stuff and where it's going to be and why it would be there. When we talk about like the dream, like weird, like musical logic of this, it, it doesn't extend to anything that affects the story and the drama where it's like, why was this thing there? It's like, well, it's there because they showed it falling off the truck. Right. And it's, that's why it was there for him to pick up. The, yes, you're right. Is that the stuff that, uh, yeah, that's. It's a very uh, good distinction to make where the stuff where it's like, screw it, it's a movie, often are things where it's like, you could write a, a couple of scenes sweatily explaining it, or you can just make it very simple. Um, like, you could have a scene where someone, like, explains why there's TNT in that room, or you can just have TNT in that room, and the end result is an explosion, and we're like, we're on board. Yeah. Whereas, like, the things that the characters do, how the characters, like, how he recognizes him and realizes that he's the guy he's hunting, or, like, the, that that uh, necklace that he gives him that they, he then is hanging off of by, or the necklace that him and his um, uh, wife have, like, the these, like, how the characters get to these emotional points is very well explained and that's what's important whereas like ha having set this tone the logic of any given scene and that isn't to say they still don't set stuff up visually but like explaining little mechanisms like the tnt or like you know oh where did they get all the other animals they show them just getting one tiger and you can figure out the rest it's like yeah we don't need to know because it's so right, it's, it's so fucking awesome that it it doesn't matter we we i think uh at least a criticism in 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 american movies like american movie criticism tends to get wrapped up in this uh yeah, I, and I logistics think it's it were the how is not near anywhere near as important as the why it's yeah it's it's there's there's probably like an equation you could make like mm -hmm. figuring out like what level of awesomeness a movie needs to be for you to because like the moment you start questioning a movie is the moment you're bored with a movie right yeah like that's for me is when i get bored with a movie then i start being like well wait how did that happen how did that person get there how did this little thing happen uh and like if it was a better movie that you could still have all those flaws but i just wouldn't care or notice and as long as it's all consistent that's really what matters more than anything when it comes to like the internal logic of something like this. Yeah, exactly. And they throw that out the window pretty fast. Uh, they let you know what kind of a movie it is. Here is, there are a few things you could observe from this that, again, I mentioned this, this movie could straight up go in like a screenwriting class because of how well it's structured. For example, 
you open up on this child being stolen. So you've established like there's these emotional stakes. The next thing you see is the guy, the first hero beating the piss out of an entire crowd. The next thing you see is the other hero fighting a tiger. So look at what they've done. In introducing those two guys that way, it introduces very, very clearly. You could show this to anyone on Earth. It introduces very clearly. Here are how the laws of physics work in this universe. Neither of these guys are invincible because, at least particularly Beam, is extremely afraid in his scene when he's up against the tiger. Like, he is scared. It is very clear. If that tiger catches him, it will eat him, probably. And when you see Rom fight his way through the crowd, he gets beaten down multiple times and has to fight his way back. He's not superhuman. He can't fly, but he can do things that a normal person cannot do, including, like, other people in this universe. He is extremely strong, extremely capable fighter, but mostly he's relentless. But it establishes the tone and what's possible very early. But it doesn't start with those two scenes. If it started with those two scenes, it would be very easy to come away thinking that the movie is kind of goofy and glib and it's about how these two guys are just super masculine, whatever. You start with the child getting taken to say, no, there are emotional stakes to this movie. It is not, this is not, you know, just goofy fun watching these two guys kick ass for three hours. You start with the child and then you come back with these two scenes. And in those three scenes, you have established very clearly, here's the type of movie you're watching. Here are the rules of the universe. I'm telling you, if you, anyone out there aspires to write books or movies or anything like that, give as much thought to how it starts as this movie does because if they had never established that the guy could fight animals and then they just had it happen later it would be like okay they don't care it's like no they don't care about explaining how he knows how to fight animals they only care to make it clear that he can and 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 that it's not easy for him like it can be done but it's not effortless or or whatever so there is a lot of everything about how this is structured it is a lesson to many, which I know we've talked, David and I, we did an entire podcast series about the way Hollywood movies are made now. They kind of become a mess structurally because it's sort of a group effort. Like the writing of the movie is distributed among a bunch of producers and the star and other people. So what you get is kind of a tangled mess of set pieces that don't necessarily build to an emotional climax or make you feel invested because it's just been through so many rounds of feedback that I assume is not the way it works in Bollywood. Like this, this is a clear idea from beginning to end, just like Fury Road was, where he had spent 20 straight years tweaking that script. This is the kind of thing that people write about when they are obsessed with structure, the way, you know, a, a screenplay is all about structure. This, when somebody spends years writing it, that's what they're doing. They're, they're trying to say, okay, in this opening, we have so much we have to convey, not just these characters, but what they're about, what they're capable of, but also about this universe. That it's a historical movie, but it's also, it's it's not, this is not going to be a docudrama. Like it's, you know, it's very heightened of the reality of it. It's it's very, you know, theatrical. There's, same with this, same with the opening of Fury Road, where they convey so much about the universe just through the costumes and the vehicles and stuff like that that we mentioned in the last podcast we did. Very similar. Like, they pack a lot of information in those opening scenes. Yeah, I I do want to note the thing. 
like how well they not only they're showing both characters and the stakes and like how badass they are but for example for rom they're literally showing what exactly the kind of person he is and yeah. he will be because they literally it's it's see that see that guy out in the crowd of people who are supporting him we don't like him go get him and that's literally what he has to do for the whole movie and he stops at nothing he fights off thousands of people to get this man and and it, it perfectly sums him up um and that's just so smart yeah it's, it's so this, smart it's the same thing with beam too like beam he's he's frightened but he's a guy that's of nature and and really close and to like yeah he's clever uh he 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 said he like thanks the tiger after he traps it he doesn't kill it the entire challenge is if he just had to drive a spear into yeah. a tiger that he probably could do that instantly but their whole goal is they're they're trying to capture it and tame it so they have like this concoction they come up with that'll knock it out or something but he's very careful not to not to hurt it or yeah. not to kill it and i think what's important is how that informs their characters because i i would argue hobson shaw does technically do that yeah where they show the rock exercising and jason statham drinking a beer at the pub you know but like for the rest of the film it doesn't matter it doesn't matter like, yeah they're just the yeah, same dude in a fight they're yeah just, yeah they're just the same dude uh uh insulting each other and it's like that's that's uh definitely an entertaining movie don't get me wrong but in terms of like how to show two characters and how different they are and you know that they're going to collide together like they do it so well in this movie uh that you just it's you you could literally you don't even have to watch it with the sound on you know you get through those three scenes you know exactly what's at stake uh so quickly and exactly who these people are and that's mm, that's wonderful (laughs) Yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird to call a three hour movie efficient, but that stuff is definitely efficient. Yeah, with shit like that. Yeah. There's also something I wanted to point out that's also all over Bahubali, which uh, is very evident in this, and maybe we already touched on it. Is that morality is very gray, in the sense that, well, okay, I, I shouldn't say that. It's it's more of like like this guy is going undercover. And you, you, he seems like a real bastard at first. And then they go back and they say, well, well, here's his background. Here's what happened with his father. Here's what happened with his village. Here's why he's so driven to do this. And he is willing to, you know, uh, he's looking at the big picture. So he's, he, it's, and that is, of course, his flaw as well. But they explain it really well. And you get that, like, that weird thing where, like, characters aren't necessarily good or bad. I mean, some are definitely bad, but like where it, it it's all kind of um, blurry and mixed together at first until the characters slowly figure out where they stand with each other. And I don't know. I think they did a really good job with that. And I, I, I think it's even more so I don't want to reveal any plot points with Bahubali, but there's definitely stuff like that. Yeah. Where it's like people who are allies also did really bad things and mm-hmm. have to like invest to them and stuff like that. And I don't know that that is a really smart idea uh, that, again, I, I think we do somewhat here, but not nearly enough. Not as often in blockbusters. No. Yeah. It's the blockbusters yeah, are, tend to be as, as simple and uncomplicated as possible. In right. General. There's. Uh, yeah, there's there's obviously lines that characters just can't cross. You know, like if they yeah. cross, we're not going to like them anymore. Uh, it doesn't matter. But like this definitely like plays with those lines uh 
in in a compelling way like in a way where again the story and how these characters are going to interact and what's going to happen uh you want to know uh, along with knowing what the next completely batshit action sequence is going to be right like for the first half of the movie you don't really if especially if you're somebody who who's you know not from the culture you're you don't and you don't know that rom was a real person uh, the first half of this movie, you have no indication that he's not just a bad guy. Uh, right. And if you but, remember Bahubali, it's a yeah. very similar theme, right? Yeah. Where it's yeah. like two badasses yeah. uh, going against each other. Yeah. Um, he's more clearly villainous in that movie. But yeah. this one, it is interesting that like, so the tension initially comes from them meeting and becoming friends. And like, you're, they're like genuine friends. And, and so you're, uh, I don't know. It's, ah, yeah, you is, know, it's. It's the best you fucking know it's movie. Like, it's the best it's movie. It's going to fall apart. It really is. <laughs> it, it, it's man. I I do also want to note there's there's definitely some amazing action scenes in this, but they're in the near the middle. It felt like they're like it's kind of when they do the dance number because they knew like we're not doing that much action, so we better as fuck do a dance number here. Yeah, it ramps down uh, for a little while, but it's but in a, but I guess what I want to note is that like it that stuff is still extremely interesting because mm-hmm. of the character stuff yeah. because they're doing that work. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and again, like these aren't, these aren't Oscar worthy performances necessarily. This isn't an Oscar worthy story. It's just doing, it's adding those elements of drama enough that you're with it the whole time. Like I, there was a point where I feel like I forgot what movie I was watching. And then when it starts getting really awesome with the action again, I was like, Oh, right. This, this, this is happening. I think it's it's right after the animals getting out. It's like when he's first uh, captured. I believe when Beam is captured is where it slows down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Does that sound about right? Around there, know. yeah. It's around it's around the midpoint. Um, here's a, another subtle screenplay structure thing that I I bet a lot of people okay. If you've ever watched an action movie that has a ton of big action set pieces, but it was very, you felt like you weren't engaged in it. Obviously, if the characters are just bad and boring, that's one reason. But there's a structure thing that can cause that. A lot of bad or boring action movies, the structure is the heroes learn through the inciting incident that they need to do blank. They need to recover this McGovern, okay? So then the structure of the movie is they head toward that goal, they get attacked by the bad guys and win. They head toward the goal, get attacked by the bad guys and win. They head toward the goal, get attacked by the bad guys and win. And it's just a series of like narrow escapes and then defeating various attacks by the by the bad guys. Because if you whoever sat down and wrote it just figured, well, that's this is action. This is how it works. You they're they're trying to get from A to B. And then they they have to overcome a series of obstacles. That's actually very boring because you watching it know that the movie's not just going to end twenty five minutes in when the good guys all get killed by the the bad guys. Right, it'd be a hell of a flex if they did that. Yeah, <laughs> if they like to, to they cheated the runtime by having just like black screen for the rest of it. Uh, someone should do that. But go on. So the good action movies that you have liked is that every time there's an action scene, it totally resets the chessboard that the characters, when they come out the other side of that scene, they now realize something new or one of their people has been killed or or abducted or the goal they thought they were going after. This is a big thing in Pixar movies. They really, they realize, oh, actually 
the thing I thought I wanted is not what I need. And it redirects them. Or the place where they thought they were going to, they realize it won't solve their problems. We have to do this instead. That's good structure where the action scenes aren't just noise. And they're not just the scenes. They're not just doing violence to the characters. They're doing violence to the plot, too. Like aliens. Jim Cameron's aliens is very good about this. Every time they encounter the aliens, it totally changes the stakes like their ships getting blown up when they think they're going to escape. Like they think they've got that safety net. They can have the ships come down and take them off and, and the crash. It's not just there to show off an explosion. It totally changes their options for what they can do. And it totally changes their, what they're trying to do, what they can do. Good. This movie does that very well. And I think even the dance sequence like resets, you know, like how she sees him and, and their, position like their attitude toward the british or whatever and because they've kind of shown that guy up um at every stage there's a big action scene like when he goes and tries to rescue the girl he unleashes all those animals well it doesn't work it, it like it's he winds up losing to rom and getting getting to prison like it it totally changes where you thought the movie was was going and so if you're if any of you out there, I, I'm sure you have some aspiring writers in your audience because we talk a lot about like the scripts and script structure, things like that. Keep that in mind. It, don't don't ever just say, you know what, it's, things have been quiet here. We need to add an action scene. The audience can tell if there's an action scene and then once the scene is over, it simply restores the status quo. Like the characters are just right back where they were before the, the loud stuff happened. They'll get bored. Right. And they won't know why they're bored, but they're bored because the noise occurred, but it didn't affect anything. It's You'll also, be shocked by how many movies do this. It's good to it's good to get ahead of that because if you don't do that, a producer is gonna say, We need an action scene there and you won't know how yes. to uh, put it in. It, like it, then it's gonna become like an unmotivated action scene unless you think about it early and get ahead of it. Like that's definitely something to think about because it's both it's we need an action scene every 15 pages 10 pages sometimes but also it's just like yeah make sure you you can figure out then what's the what's the point of it the advice you'll get sometimes like well have just have some bad guys show up with a gun right you gotta shoot out then you escape and then 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 you go have the meeting you were gonna have anyway it's like that, that's boring to people. It takes more than just a bunch of stuff happening on screen to keep people entertained. Right. That doesn't that doesn't engage them. So it's got to be, you know, I, the guy that showed up and tried to shoot you. It turned out that's the guy you thought was your friend. It's got to be something that sends things off in a different direction. Yeah, and this, this I would really I would say this this does that. Yeah, yep. again, not that many action sequences, but like the, it, it does it. But it also like I love when they save that. <laughs> little boy like the really the only reason for that to happen is to for them, have them see each other yeah them to meet and become friends and and uh, united and do their over little the... hand signals and stuff yeah and it's again it's the idea of like okay you're gonna have it uh should we have a train crash absolutely yeah of we course. should have a train light on fire and go off this bridge how do they save it do they just like t- to get them from under the rebel like absolutely not they have to uh jump off this bridge and have a rope tied to each of them and swing together. Like they save oh, so him they with just Cirque du Soleil. The, yeah, they oh they just jump off the bridge. Like no, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely one of them's not. on a, a horse. And one of them's on a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. 
A, a plan that Rom communicates to Bean with just a series of hand motions. <laughs> Completely, so like, uh, like three hand signals, and they that it as c- if, means this elaborate plan to him. Yeah, like the way you would you would signal to someone who you're trying to to get their car to you signal them to turn it off by by doing like twisting your like turn the key off. It's as simple as that. It's like he makes a little motion like, okay, we're going to tie this rope, this this 150 feet of rope to each other, and they're going to each jump off opposite sides of the bridge and swing down like a pair of pendulums, and we're going to meet in the middle and snatch the kid out of water. I'm going to hand him off to you. Then you're going to wrap a, a, a flag in, in water and wrap it around and protect him from the flames. Because, again, there's a train that is exploding this entire yeah. time. This is something that – this is a plan that can only – makes sense in the context of a train has exploded and run off of the side of her bridge on top of a small child. And this is the thing you do. And they communicate it with the same hand motions you would give to somebody to have them turn on a light or answer the phone. Uh, it's, it's just wonderful. It's played perfectly straight. And again, when you're doing your outline for your script, this scene is just the two guys meet. Yeah. Right, because there's got to be there's got to be a scene where they meet each other, and this is where somebody, uh, this writer, I don't know if the director wrote the script or if they have a team of people, whoever. He's credited as writing it. Yeah, um, it's like okay, so every movie has a scene where they meet, and they could just be sitting next to each other at at a bar or a coffee shop or whatever, but it's like no. No, they have to do they, – they have to recognize in each other. It's like, oh, I this guy also is superhuman like me. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's about knowing what movie you're in, like you're you're making, especially where this – like I keep getting reminded of Moonfall, which I understand Roland Emmerich, a uh, different type of director. Uh, some people might argue Moonfall is not as good. Um, but it's why I appreciate Moonfall, which is that they ask that question, can we put more in this? And it's like, yeah, why not? We're already making a movie about the moon falling. Like we have nothing to lose. It would like – there's no restraint here uh because there shouldn't be in this case and the really the only thing we need to keep in mind is trying to tie all this together in a way that isn't complete gibberish and breaks the audience brain which yeah that's that's kind of where moonfall falls apart uh but it's the same principle here where it's like can we do more and it's like absolutely why not do more you know like as long and as you're saying like it also gets out who these characters are yeah why they know each other why they get a lot they're both her- heroes so it's really just like they both need to do something heroic and we need to show that they're able to communicate without speaking because that does play in later yeah uh they pay that off it's the unspoken so it's bond like, of heroes yeah and so like the how does it matter so it's like well why not make the how awesome and they're like yes absolutely uh it's just it's 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 like the opposite of a cynical view of how movies work where it's like they're all formulas uh you know it's all silly it's all make-believe so why not do something amazing with that fact uh and that's what like i really appreciate about this filmmaker yeah 100 percent. yeah um do you guys know if his other movies are on netflix or do you know where they they can be found okay jason you should watch them immediately yeah, definitely. Bahubali. There's both parts of that are are currently still on Netflix. Yeah, I would. B a h u b a a l i. I think. Let me let me 
look up the official spelling. It's um, let's do this in real time. Yeah, that's true. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. B double A, like a like a lamb, like a ba, uh, hub, like a hub, like like porn hub and Ali. Like uh, the movie Ali. Okay. Does that does that work? Yeah. Bahubali. You nailed, uh, you, you I nailed would, it. I, I haven't seen Bahubali as recent. I'm going to say I think I might like Bahubali more because that's two movies and it's like a real epic. And I, I actually think this, as hard as this movie goes, I'm pretty sure Bahubali goes way harder. Uh, <laughs> like in terms of the action but there is, again there is some pretty wild stuff in the in those movies yeah. yeah but you should everyone listening should definitely check that out especially if yeah. you watched rrr and really liked yes. it yes i believe um Bahubali, like everybody's seen the gif i believe of a group of warriors uh forming a ball on a catapult and getting catapulted and like rolling with their shields and that's Bahubali. So, uh, if that gives people, oh, I have seen that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It's definitely like it. it, It's it's like this almost. It's this same tone in like a Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones style movie. Yeah, which I guess that's why I I think I might like it more is because it really lends itself to that. Yeah. To like Lord of the Rings epic, uh, because that's like all about being big. And the character is established as superhuman, I believe, right away. So the things he does is even more outrageous. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's it's take these action scenes and apply them to gigantic battle scenes, like Lord of the Rings, like scale battle sequences. Yeah, it, so, it fully rules. Um, it fully rules. Like All these movies. Film. Yeah. Yeah. And again, Bahubali, the beginning is almost three hours long. It's and two hours, part 40 one. minutes. And that's just part one. The conclusion is also two hours, 40 minutes. So, yeah, you, you're going to get like a, a solid over five hours of this. Uh, and you're, and you're going to love it. You're going to love it. We should probably do yeah, we it should on wrap. one of our movie nights. Oh, we definitely should. Uh, I think we should probably wrap this episode up. Yeah, I, I feel like I've... I've I haven't talked enough about this. Uh, yeah, movie, it's so weird. And yet we've talked so much about it. <laughs> I feel it. like we've barely scratched the surface and we're coming up on two hours. I think it's because and I, I don't know whose instinct this was, but it was good to like not uh explain what happens in the plot too much. Um one of the last things I want to point out is just uh obviously they're not the main people, uh and the main actors are fantastic. But big shout out to all the Brit- the the actors playing British people who knew exactly what they were supposed to be. Yeah, they're just ghouls. <laughs> they're, they're just ghouls. They're just <laughs> British stereotype ghouls with like mutton chops and tea and and like why I never fucking attitudes. And it's like you are exactly what I what what you needed to be. That's great. It's so interesting because the new the new Top Gun movie. You know they famously don't say what country they're attacking. Yeah. Because they have to, they have to fly like there's a rogue nation. And I'm not going to spoil the, the plot. They, they, you know, they have to go fly in. And, and but since after watching RRR, I've decided it's it's England. Yeah, yeah. it's probably it's got to be England that they're yeah that they're that be. they're bombing the British. And that, <laughs> yeah, and, of course. Uh, they just couldn't <laughs> they couldn't say that because you know it wouldn't be politically correct. Right. Uh, but we all but that we all secretly know that that's who. Yeah. 
We know who the it is. Below, under the visor of those pilots, it's a guy who looks exactly like the evil <laughs> overlord. Yeah, it is just Ray Stevenson. exact yeah. button chops. Yeah. yeah, it's exact. As Scott. I don't know why it tickled me so much that the villain is just Scott. Yeah. Like, they just keep talking about the evil Scott. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's a per- it's, I'm sure that's a name that existed in the 1920s. Uh, but it's just, it feels yeah, very like maybe the name of an actual historical figure, right. for all I, for all yeah. I know. Right. But they uh, don't, his but, name is Scott Buxton, is the character's name. And you'd think they'd call him like Lord Buxton or something, but or, they keep just or Governor saying, Bu- Buxton, but they call him Governor Scott. Yeah, they just keep calling him Scott. It's like Governor I Tim. Love, I love that instinct because it's yeah. like, it feels disrespectful. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah fuck, it fuck feels Scott. like you're patronizing a child when you do yeah. that way. <laughs> Like, all right, Scott, whatever, man. Uh, it, it's, it's, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I guess that's how British titles work, right? Because it's Sir, it's Sir John, right? Not Sir. I don't know. I don't know. I don't care. I just, Scott. Anyway. Scott just doesn't feel like a name that existed before the 80s. Uh, to me, at least. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Are we, yeah. Are we done? Do we have anything else? No. Uh, to say? Jason? I mean, I, I no, could talk go, go, for go. hours about Scott, but... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, if you've got Netflix, it won't cost you anything to at least try to watch this movie. I, I for me, if if I once I start watching it, I find it difficult to turn it off because like, well, I'll stop watching it during the first once I hit this part. Yeah, the first <laughs> and boring like, oh wait, part. but this part's coming up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like, well, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna turn it off before blank happens. So I, if anything, I feel I feel bad that we have given away some things that happen, but I know that like that's some people would not have watched it just based on us saying. Go watch this Bollywood movie. So, so hopefully we've told you just enough that you want to – I assure you it will not lessen the feeling of seeing any of this happen <laughs> from having, oh, goodness, no. from no. having I heard, heard de- us I talk could, about it. Yeah, I could describe Niagara Falls to somebody. <laughs> right. But you still want to go see it. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. Well – Jason, thank you so much. Uh, um, oh, I, I'm plug. I'm supposed to plug my book. Uh, this is, yeah, 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 yeah. Plug I, your book. Do it. People have never listened to one of the shows before. I make my living as a novelist. The new one that is up for order is called "If This Book Exists, You're in the Wrong Universe." Uh, it's one. It's a sequel, one of several sequels to the novel "John Dies at the End," which got made into a movie, which is on HBO Max. Last time I checked, or any of the streaming services. Um, and yes, people people do buy my books. But people sometimes ask me, does anyone when they hear on podcast like they you say the title of a book, are they actually going to remember it and go buy it later? I'm telling you, they will if you mention it enough times. Yeah, <laughs> if you're sure to bring it up every time you're on, after three or four times, they will finally relent and say, "Okay, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go check it out." It's just the people usually have to hear it more than once. That's the key. Yeah, it helps. To... I think you. I think you're really good at picking titles because uh, it helps to have titles like the ones you're talk, like the ones you come up with too. Yeah, that is. We we are going to pretend that that is a quirk of not of mine and not me being from the internet where titles are everything, right? And that it's not an actual intentional marketing thing on my point because because like the book prior to this one was called Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick. Um, it and sure the was. idea is that if you are browsing, browsing, browsing either on a shelf or scrolling, scrolling, scrolling through Amazon book recommendations and you see that title or see the title John Dies at the End that you'll say, huh, 
and that one out of every, I don't know, 200 people that make that noise will click on it <laughs> and then buy it. But I, my entire career has been made out of writing the first book that had a title that made enough people say, Right. That's, that's that's funny. That's kind of funny that you get the way the, the end is. I, like, yeah, I still my... remember buying the book from Barnes and Noble, uh, uh, and the re- the cashier had that exact reaction. Ah, that's yes. great. The second book, the second book in the series, is called "This Book Is Full of Spiders." Seriously, dude, don't touch it. The third is called "What the Hell Did I Just Read?" So, yeah, it is a theme. I spend a lot of time trying to think up those titles, but <laughs> it makes things less funny when you tell people that you actually devoted a lot of thought to it. It's so right. Anyway, yeah, you gotta you gotta play it cool. Yeah, um, <laughs> effort uh, is not funny. It never is. <laughs> uh, I guess I should plug our yeah. uh, Patreon. Patreon.com slash gamefully unemployed. Uh, if you go on there, if you, if you, if you got $5, just $5 a month, you get access to a bunch of podcasts like Tom and Jeff watch Batman, Fox Mulder is a maniac, Star Trek, the next Futurama and Spiel Boys. Uh, you can, you can get custom episodes if we just watch, you know, uh, that's a tier on there. You can we also watch movies with our patrons every Friday night. I am going to try to figure out, but who is three hours long? So we'd have to, we'd have to figure that out. But like, come on, gotta watch I mean, Hoobly one I mean, of these nights. We can probably just watch this one too. Yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's what we do. You, you guys should, uh, people should check it out and also, uh, give us reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you know, usually like Apple podcasts. I don't know if there's other reviews you can do probably probably not i don't i think reviews only exist know. within apple uh we also have a store <laughs> head over to gamefieldemployed.com where you can find a link to our teespring store where we have all kinds of cool original artwork and designs you can get on t-shirts stickers mugs posters all sorts of things so check that out yes and check out rrr yeah. do it it's it's it will man. it will ruin all other movies for you yeah you don't even have to use a different key like it's just r yeah. They make it so easy for yeah, you. Yeah, it's very easy to watch. It's right there on mm-hmm. Netflix. You just press that R button, boom, it's in front of your eyes. 